Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band means yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way right here, right now. Officially, this will go down as episode number 225. You can get all of the Unfiltered Revolution 24-7, 365 a number of ways. Of course, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. That's number one. Also, you can go in the artist formerly known as Twitter X, if you will. Jump at Casey Stern. Get into the bio. Follow, connect on the YouTube, subscribe, like all the videos, tell your friends, and all that good stuff. Speaking of friends, thank you to the Unfiltered Band. Appreciate them as always. We've got a ton. I mean, a smorgasbordian style show. I got a lot to get into. Going to delve deep into MLB from the MVPs to a couple of managerial introductions. Get into some trade win questions. Talk some free agency. We'll talk some Otani. I want to get into the A's and the official unanimous acceptance of their move to Vegas. We'll get into that. Talk about the NBA. Draymond with the suspension, the fifth of his career, five-gamer. Get into James Harden being James Harden. Want to talk a little Connor Bedard. Get into the NHL a bit. Also, of course, my Isles, who are disgraced, six losses in a row. Got to chime in on that from a passion standpoint. Then speaking of passion, how about... That UFC 295 card, we'll go review that, talk a little bit, looking ahead to what is going on in MMA as well. So a lot to get to. You, as always, can get to us a number of different ways. Love the comments, wherever, however you're watching this, and thank you for the support. Speaking of support, before we get started, we always get started by telling you about Bet Online. They're our number one source for all your sports betting needs this or any season. It's latest odds, lines, matchup reports, baseball basketball, hockey, boxing, golf, whatever you got, they got it. Bet online, fastest and easiest way to get all your wagers, live betting and favorite casino and card games, all available to play right now, right from your phone. Head over to the website, use a mobile device to sign up now, get in on all the action. Remember to use this promo code. It's believe, B-L-E-A-V. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It is bet online where the game starts as we get started here. And as I do this here, Taping for the podcast, and we'll run this, I think, on X as well uh, on a uh, Wednesday evening. It's Thursday evening, Thursday evening. The MVPs just announced a couple hours ago, and the first time ever that we've had both leagues unanimous. The second consecutive time, first time ever that's happened more than once for a player. Second consecutive time that we've seen that uh, Otani, or second time rather, judge in between. For Otani, unanimous in the American League. Ronald Acuna Jr., unanimous in the National League. Both rightfully so. Talk about Acuna first. I mean, you know, being here in Atlanta, watching him as much as I did over the last year, we knew he was a star. But he came back from that injury with a little bit of a chip and took things to even another level. And there is nothing like watching it. I know, you know, we're talking about rule changes or all the things that might have played into that enhancement in, in the league of speed and talking about the stolen base. But it's something I grew up watching and loving. Favorite non-Mets of all time, Tony Gwynn. Love watching him hit. But then Ricky Henderson, who was just an appointment view. My childhood, I mean, that that dude, when he was in Oakland, sad for A's fans to think back to those glory times now, clearly. But watching, you know, power-speed combo and just what that is. I mean, Barry Bonds, before he ever needed to go and, you know, get on the juice and the cream and the clear and whatever else in between to take himself to some insane level, he was already 
you know, that dude. And I think to watch that power and speed combination of Acuna was just so uber special. Uh, Braves fans obviously got to be proud and happy. I think Acuna should be the same. Congrats to him. Unanimous, most valuable player in the National League. Over on the American League side, shocker, Shohei Otani. Not that he needed this accolade to add to the number of things that he can bring into a meeting when he says, hi, my name is Shohei, and would you like to sign me? I'm a free agent. Haven't you heard? But it is still just super impressive. And beyond the talent, because that's one thing. I mean, if he had thrown the way that he throws and for two months in one season was able to do what he's doing, able to have one or two of the games where he's hit a home run in, you know, the opener of a game that he pitched and then had a walk-off in the back end of a doubleheader and all these different things that he's accomplished over and time over and over again. If he had done that once, if he had not sustained forever, you know, nobody going back and saying, well, you know, Bo Jackson wasn't, and look, to me, he's the greatest athlete that I've seen. I didn't watch Jesse Owens, Jim Brown, obviously a little bit before my time. Knowledgeable of, of course. Watch the videos and documentaries, of course. Got to watch him in his prime? No. But I watched Bo Jackson. That's the best athlete I ever seen. And yeah, his career could have been way longer in baseball, maybe even longer in football if he didn't have baseball and go back and forth. As much as we're going back and saying, like from him in his case, or even a Barry Sanders, who certainly retired early and could have played much longer. Oh, well, it's not the same because, you know, they didn't play as long. Well, maybe like the career and accolades and all those sorts of things. But still, you would know those guys were at the, the top of the top echelon of athletes that you'd ever seen in your life. Well, Shohei Otani, from a talent standpoint, if he had done what he has done, even for a month or two, it would have been enough to say, that's as talented as any dude I've ever seen. So I've always had the arguments of people who, I don't care, they can at me all they want. Watching Jacob deGrom over the last number of years when he's been healthy and the pinpoint at 100-101, side piece at 92, and all the things that he's doing, right? And with that level of control, you know, Pedro Martinez, best pitcher I ever, and it's not because I work with Pedro, but before, I mean, when I was in college in Boston and he was pitching there, that's the best pitcher I've ever seen, right? But, you know, I don't even know what the, the height of the height in all of the things that, you know, all the other pitchers, outside of Pedro, maybe one or two others, I, I don't know how many guys you're putting in the category of just the talent level displayed by a DeGrom, for example. Well, who in the hell is in the category of Shohei no one, except one, one of one. That's it. That's what he is. I say this all the time. You get, you get one of 114 you know, special crazy tops cards when I was a kid. You get one of whatever that you, you go buy at some auction or you found at some jewelry sale of some special thing that was ever made. And there are only a handful of them. There's sneakers for some of you, you know, sneakerheads, right? There's only one. And they're only ever going to be one of this dude. And that is what he's carrying into free agency. And, you know, I look, I still see this as exactly the way I have seen this 
since this conversation began, which for me, you go to this podcast, was killing the Angels and crushing them for as bad a deadline as we've ever seen. They should have moved him. You knew he wasn't going to sign, and he was going to be a Dodger, and he's going to be a Dodger. I would be, I would be very, I would, somewhere between very surprised and stunned if he's not. Now, you're going to get dance partners. You're going to get some wooing. You're going to get some dating. This is like a bachelor show that's just going to run to the end where this guy already knows or this girl who they're giving a rose to in the second episode. They go to the producers and say, can we cut this thing off? They're probably going to run this show anyway. Well, they're going to run this show anyway. And the Cubs going to be in the thing. And the Giants and Mets and Yankees and Mariners and whoever else you think, and Red Sox and Braves, they're going to try and be in the thing. It's San Diego and whoever you want to put in whatever category. At the end of the day, it's a common sense play. And it is not hard to see why it is difficult to see anyone else getting Otani outside of the Dodgers. He's already there. It's Hollywood. No offense to going all the way down the five freeway where the Angels are. He's already right there, doesn't need to move. There's no team that he's going to make better than what he makes the Dodgers. Maybe you want to consider the Braves being not going to Atlanta. The teams that I really consider viable, the Cubs, the Yankees, the Giants, not making those teams better than he'd make the Dodgers. You go face Freeman, Betts, and, and Otani. Are you kidding? And the money you'll make off the field. I mean, he tra- he does things. Mike Trout, I don't know if it's can't do or won't do, but somewhere in between, Mike Trout he needed a lower third when he was at the Eagles game in the NFC Championship years ago, nobody knew who the hell he was. I love Mike Trout. And he got more talk for being on the Weather Channel than he does for half the things he does in baseball. And I know he doesn't want all of that, but Otani does. Got the flair, got the charisma. He's going to stay and be a Dodger. But I do, people, find it really highly entertaining. Some of the crap that is getting spewed out and like people don't have enough articles and I know that every editor and every producer, and I'm sure is saying, write as much as you can about Otani, do as much as you can about Otani, talk about love on Otani, be Otani, breathe Otani, be with Otani, be one with Otani, one with the one of one. But you got articles out here yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago. You go look on an artist formerly known as Twitter. And I'm looking at a scroll article, I'll show you Otani. Um, is stressing that he's only going to have conversations with teams that are in contention. I'm sorry. Was that a surprise to someone? Did you not get what this guy's about in the WBC against Trout? Didn't mean to Dr. Seuss you. Like, you not get what this guy's about over the last couple of years? You not see the big game appeal? You not see what he wants? He's the cool kids. He wants all that smoke. He wants all of that. How are you surprised? Where are they? What what shitty team you think he's going to? So really, some of this, please give me enough. Or it's gonna be like when we watched Terrell uh, To Terrell Owens do push-ups on his lawn. Remember when we were trying to find out where he was going with Drew Rosenhaus's guy. Good luck with that with Otani. Give me a hundred million articles. He's going to the Dodgers. If you want to fast forward to the end, that's where he ends up. We know Craig Council ends up with the Cubs. Carlos Mendoza with the Mets, Pat Murphy with the Brewers, Ron Washington with the Angels. Want to get into a couple of these. First of all, you know, I, I like hearing Counts kind of recount the story of him telling David Ross and talking about the respect he has for him. And I think people need to understand that 
this is a difficult position Craig Council is in because he probably does, and I'm sure does have a ton of respect for Rossi and all of that. But if somebody's offering you $40 million, there are not a lot of things on a piece of paper you're writing down when you take moral and religious and family out that you ain't doing for $40 million. So anyway, oh, well, if he, if he respected David Ross, how could he do that to him? Now, you could get on the Cubs for doing it to him, and they did him dirty, and I talked about that in a previous podcast. You can get on the Cubs for what they did, if you want, to David Ross. Business or not, right or wrong or not, Madden beforehand and doing this again or not, right? With Rick Renneria. Seen this before. But if you're getting on Craig Council, I don't even want to hear it. First of all, the amount of money you just made managers moving forward is obscene. That's number one. Not about one, and, and I love Rossi, <laughs> about the fraternity. He made him plenty. So I'm sure that's coming in spades. Number two, it's $40 million. I'm sure he kind of felt bad, and kind of felt bad is the only headline you're putting on when somebody gets you $40 million. Sorry. It's not about money. Well, yeah, it's about money some. Then the movie Boiler Room, man, Ben Affleck, he says, you know, people say money can't buy you happiness. He says, look at the effing smile on my face. You know, Craig Council's smiling plenty, 40 mil. Carlos Mendoza, I think he's a nice fit with the Mets. He's not Craig Council. And really, that's the, the worst part and, and that he's got going for him, is that he's not. not. But what Mets fans need to realize is who else was available. Where else were you going to go? What were the other names you wanted? I love Wash. Did you want Ron Washington? I think Pat Murphy's great. Lightford's deserved this opportunity a long time ago. Did you want him? You had Buck Showalter. You let him go. Now you want to change your mind? Here's a guy who is well-respected, knowledgeable in the game, obviously good people person. Those skills are all important into winning, has experience. That's important into winning. He'd been around winning. And people could talk about all the things with, you know, Booney and what the Yankees haven't done and all of that. But this guy has been around plenty of winning, around plenty of experience, around plenty of knowledge, has soaked up like a sponge when you, you talk to people around him, all those sorts of things, really relates and resonates and deals well with players, and I think he's going to do a good job. Is he Craig Council? He's not Craig Council. He's never going to turn into Craig Council. He's not going to do like a, you know a Freaky Friday switch and become Craig Council. Outside of that, could be good. I love Ron Washington. I have always loved Ron Washington. I talked about this in a, in a previous piece I did a few days ago when I found out Wash got the job. But uh, some of my favorite conversations that I've had covering the game are with this dude when he was managing the Rangers. And I, I spent two postseasons with that team and a lot of time with that team in Series X. And we did a documentary with that team. And Ron Washington is, is, Wash is, is a dude. You know, I love quotes and I'll end with another one today. And I love all that stuff and all that positivity and, and all that vibe and that energy that you get from all of that, and nobody bringing that to you real and sincere the way Wash does in a brand different from where everybody's doing it. But when he's sitting there in the presser and he gives the quote, we're going to run the West down, that is a longer run than anywhere Forrest was going, and I'm talking Gump. Because you'd be running a long time. You got Mike Trout. And a, a couple of really exciting kids and Atlanta Misfit Toys in a division with the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers and, and the Mariners still, and go ahead and hang with them. Trouble. That franchise lost Otani. Now it's not Wash's fault. 
they screwed up because Artie Moreno is Artie Moreno. So he didn't want the team. Then he wanted the team. I don't know if I want to sell the team. Now I want to keep the team, but I'm not going to get rid of Otani because we're sitting there and we're, you know, we, we were six under 500, but we won five in a row. Now it's a week to the deadline. So let's screw that. We're not going to move Otani. Oh, wait, shoot, we probably should have. Oh, wait, then he's hurt. We don't get money in tickets and people buying in any way and showing up anyway. And now he's gone for nothing. And okay, great. Good luck. Go run the West down. I mean, the West was won, however the hell that was, the saying goes, way quicker than however this run is going to go. And I love Wash. I think I'm ready to play. I think he'll maximize getting the most out of his players. I think he's a supreme motivator. He's an unbelievable technician in terms of infield defense and will, will help with getting those kids fundamentally sound and mentally ready. And they're going to be running that West down for a very, very freaking long time. Very long time. From West, I want to go back to New York, and I'll go back out West in a second with the A's. Let's go back East. I want to hit a couple of personnel points. Little free agency, then we'll get into the A's. The Brian Cashman scenario. Now, I look, I said this before, too. It is hard not in this business to you start to kind of get biased and like people. I've always liked Cashman. I've always liked Brian Cashman. He's always been... Um, Really cool to me over the years, and he's a really candid guy, and he's a smart guy, and I got a lot of respect for the fact that he doesn't pull punches and has always been that way. I do. I want to look up the exact, because I wanted to bring this up, this Stanton thing. Now, look, I know Ken, Brian Cashman got killed for some of the comments that he made about the Yankees and how good the front office was and the infrastructure and you know, things weren't that bad and whatever the case is, albeit saying that they were disappointing, but nobody in New York wants to hear about anything that's good when they're pretty much blaming you. And I will say this, whether you want to blame, you know, every manager is going to eat and wear some of it. So whether it's Booney or anybody else, nobody Teflon to any of that, but this is clearly much more of a personnel issue. We know this Yankee team wasn't good enough when the Astros wiped them off the field the year before that in the postseason. And then what did they do in the offseason? Obviously, they had to bring Aaron Judge back, clearly. But the rest of the team didn't look ready. Did you look at their lineup most of the time? Yeah, Brian Cashman got to eat part of that. But you know that he's aggravated that one of the moves that makes him look worse than any is the Giancarlo Stanton decision and Giancarlo Stanton never healthy. But Brian Cashman tells the Daily News less than a week ago, Stanton going to, quote, end up getting hurt again more likely than not because it seems like part of his game. Well, Brian, uh, Giancarlo Stanton's agent, Joel Wolf, did not like that. So he responded on Tuesday saying, I read the context of the entire interview. It's a good reminder, quote, for all free agents considering signing in New York, both foreign and domestic. I don't think I've ever heard it worded that way. Uh, in these terms, that to play for that team that you've got to be made a Teflon, both mentally and physically, because you can never, quote, let your guard down even in the offseason. You can go with shots fired or wherever you want to go for this and this story. We all know it's true. It's not something you say. Because here's the thing. Giancarlo Stanton may very well be hurt most of next year. And if the odds are in Vegas, they're on that. Brian Cashman's not wrong, and you and I both know it. But I also don't think you want to sour Giancarlo Stanton, and it's not going to motivate him any, motivate him any more to play while he's hurt 
for a team led by a guy who basically is saying, well, this dude's hurt all the time. And you could read between it however you want, but that is, to me, easily can be read with, I am questioning your toughness and ability to get back on the field. The way you are built, the shape you're in, you should be able to bounce back quicker, get the hell back on the field. We need you. That may not very well be what he meant, but I guarantee you that's how it's taken because when things are said that you can take personally and you're an athlete with those egos, you take them personally that way. I'm sure that's how he took it. Not a good look. On the Mets side, I wanted to tap into this conversation that has been like every day I'm on social media and I got asked about this twice already this week in two different spots. And it's about Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo. Now, if I'm wrong, no problem, but I will say it as strongly as I can. Pete Alonzo is not getting traded in this off season. It doesn't make a lick of sense. He's not getting moved. If he gets traded, it'll be at the deadline. It'll be because both sides are at an impasse. It'll be because the Mets don't believe that they can get a deal struck with Scott Boris. It'll be because the team's terrible. It'll be because they get offers for a rental for Alonzo and they got to go ahead and go for it and try and get what they can because they're not ready and they may lose Alonzo entirely because they get the feeling like he's not going to take whatever their dollars are if they've offered and not played hardball and done the right things to. Because when you are dealing, the worst thing you can do and this is from experience. I can give you a million examples. You can go to John Lester and the Red Sox back in the day when I was covering them to a million others. When you are in a situation where a, a, a athlete is working for you and he is under your umbrella, that is a situation where that athlete feels like he has given you everything in the world to, sh to show you why you should pay more than anybody else. Because see, that dude over there that owns a team may be willing to pay me money because of all the numbers, but he doesn't know what I give you behind the scenes. He doesn't know the blood, sweat, and tears. He doesn't know what I am in your room. He doesn't know what I'm about. You know what I'm about, and you should pay me more money than that person. And that is how they all feel. And oftentimes, they get lowballed instead. Because the teams decide that, well, I'm not going to go ahead and overpay for you because I'm not going to go and create a market that doesn't exist. I don't got anybody bidding right now against me, right? So I'm kind of playing. I don't, I don't want to lose a, a hand that I'm sitting by myself. There's nobody against me yet. I don't, I don't want to set higher numbers. I don't know. So they lowball. Then the guy gets pissed off. The agent says, screw you. They go out to market, go into free agency, make tons of money, and then turn around first time they can and say, these idiots didn't realize what I meant, what, what I meant to them. And they meant a lot to me, and they should have paid me, and yada, yada, and it doesn't end up well. And we've seen a million scenarios like that. Now, if that's how it's going, Alonzo will get dealt at the deadline. But he's not getting dealt now because it doesn't make a lick of damn sense. Please stop writing articles about Pete Alonso getting traded in the offseason. He's not getting traded in the offseason. I'll repeat this, replay it, post it, brand it somewhere on my body if he gets moved before the season begins. Because outside of some situation where he asks for a trade that we are not aware of at current, this is not going to happen. Please stop writing articles about it. It is dumb. Let me just write this down. It is dumb. Okay, make sure. I mean, it bothers me 
how, especially in New York, this happens all the time, where there's not enough, you know, papers to print, pages to write. So you got to throw some shit at a board. They're not getting moved. Of course, they're going to be calls. Yes. Of course, the question of what's going to happen moving forward. Yes. That's right. The deadline, it makes sense. Now, you're going to get as much for a rental for a couple months you get for a full year? Most likely not. But what the hell do you think they're getting in a trade now that is worth doing? Now, other caveat. Pete Alonso asked for a trade, and I'm wrong. Well, none of us could have foreseen that. Here's the other one. The Angels call up and offer you Mike Trout for him. Then, yes, Pete Alonso may get dealt. Those aren't the kind of deals you're going to be getting. Let's move on. What are the nice ways that I can say something I don't want to say nice? Whatever they are, I'm not going to say them. John Fisher's kind of an idiot. He's a fraud. He's a liar. He's a terrible owner. And he owes the Oakland A's fans a massive apology. Instead of writing his letter of, you know, this diatribe of nonsense about how, oh, I fell in love with the community and tried to do everything that I can do. Everything he, he did everything in his power. Remember, this is the guy who's not feeding minor leaguers. The same guy not paying employees. I mean, he done everything in his power, right? Jeff Passan had an article out today that I thought was, was I, I, you know, you knew these things. We never looked at it in the context of this. Fisher took over in 2005. In 2005, that year, the payroll was 19th, the ace. 2006, it was 19th. 2007, it was actually 18th. That's when he officially, now it's still bottom half, but he officially had given up. Eight of the next nine years were between 26 and 30, and five of them were 29 or 30. That's who he is. The Oakland fans that I put this on, I tweeted this or whatever you call it, X'd it, posted it earlier today after I saw Fisher's letter. Oakland fans deserved an owner that matched their heart, not broke it. Because there are some diehard fans there. Now, you want to say, well, the fans could have shown up at the ballpark. Maybe they would have changed things. Have you been to that park? I have. I have. I remember how sad it was as the media, when I was covering the NBA finals, having to like go through the O.co in some different ways that they were like having media like trade because it's literally was right next to where Oracle was for those who had not been there, right next, like right up against it. And just the dichotomy of like the NBA finals in a packed building. And I know the Warriors have a new building now at Chase, but. And this disaster, uh, sewage up in the dugout and all the other things, that these fans hung in. They stuck through it. They did everything they could do. What the hell did you do? Except break down every team that ever had a chance to win, find ways to cut dollars, come up with excuses left and right for why you are a damn fraud. You're a terrible owner. You've been a terrible owner since day one. Why don't you go shut the hell up? Seriously. Sorry. Speaking of shutting up, that's something that happens when you do a rear naked choke on somebody. This is not my UFC conversation. This is actually the NBA. That Draymond thing. Okay, so 
getting into this a little bit. First of all, clearly had to be suspended. Fifth of his career gets a five-gamer, right? I love how Rudy Gobert, he got fined $25,000, which if you know what Gobert is getting paid, is basically like if somebody borrowed $2.50 from you tomorrow to go get like a, a prime energy drink. You got to be kidding me. He called the fine shameful because Rudy Gobert was going in, according to him, to go play Peacemaker. Now, I watched this video a number of times. You can't let it play out without Draymond getting in there. There's no, like, alternate way, like, hey, if you press Y on your PlayStation controller, you could watch how Gobert would have been Peacemaker, gotten everybody to hug it out if Draymond doesn't come in and try to choke the hell out of him. So you don't know. But I, I got no evidence showing me he playing Peacemaker. Do you? I got nothing telling me, oh, he there to, like, really calm it all down. That is not the impression I got at all from watching this video several times. So seriously, he could shove it to, with the whole to $25,000 is shameful. You got to be kidding me. Really? But Draymond, this is personal. We all know about the, the situation with the crying. We know about the back and forth in, in public. We know all about the Gobert comments after what happened with Jordan Poole. This was personal. I can't. I never know how to talk about Draymond because I, it's like two completely different conversations in my own head about the same player. Getting a chance to cover and to watch him in these finals and to see how, how integral he is to everything that Steve Kerr and that group has done over the years, how important he's become, how he's an all-time player in the ways that you, know, you talk about one-of-one one with Otani. Maybe you've never seen anybody in the game. You know, talk about Dennis Rodman, but he was specifically, he did impact the game in the stat sheet in terms of the rebounds at such a high level that I don't know if we've ever seen anybody who, there's not one category where Draymond Green is blowing you up the page no matter what analytics you go to, and he does a little bit of literally everything well. He's so cerebral and understands the game. I mean, there are, look, LeBron is in like a category maybe of his own, maybe with Chris Paul and one or two others, in terms of basketball IQ and understanding what's going on on the floor. But Draymond's not far behind. So it's like in all of that, I got an unbelievable respect for this dude, a massive level of respect. But at the same time, he's a clown. I mean, he's a clown. The Jordan Poole thing was a complete clown show. This was ridiculous. Now, look, there are a lot of people, Donovan Mitchell may be one, who would like to choke Rudy Gobert. But it doesn't mean you do it. Five games deserved. James Harden. Career with the Clippers starts 0-5. He's already complaining that people shouldn't be getting on him because he's not even in shape yet. And whose fault was that? Paul George, after the last game, complaining and basically blaming the loss, <coughs> excuse me, basically blaming the loss on the refs. You got people in the room and the coaching staff talking about how it's all going to work. We've seen this story before. I don't know the guy's name. I wish I did. But if you haven't seen it, it got viral last week. Dallas Mavericks pregame. And one of the guys on their pregame show just like eviscerates Harden for two and a half minutes. And it's literally everything I've said and every time I've ever talked about and anything everybody ever says about James Harden. And you, you got to say all the facts the way that they are. He is one of the most 
uber-talented offensive players that has ever lived, ever, in any era in this sport. From the ability to get his own shot off, the different ways he can do so, the range in which he can do that, the way he sees the floor, the handle, everything that he does. Offensively, he's nearly unstoppable. One-on-one and creating for others. But he is not a winner. He has never been a winner, and he will never be a winner. Now, he may accidentally at some point in his career, and I don't think it's going to be this year, he may accidentally as a vet playing 15 minutes a game get on a team that wins a championship in some role that James Harden has changed into at 37 years old. But the rest of his career, he is never going to win. Ever. He is the opposite of everything positive about winning basketball or any other sport. He can't show up in the big spots. He is all about him and completely selfish. He blames everybody else and takes no accountability for a damn thing that's ever happened. He brings every friend he's ever met and you know, brings him in, and, and I want to go play with that guy. I wanna go. And then it's that guy's fault and turns on him in two seconds. I'll never forget and go back to games I covered sitting there against the, the dubs in games six and seven. I mean, Chris Paul went down, and if he didn't go down, they would have won. I think the Rockets would have won that series if Chris Paul didn't go down. I do. I've always been in that category. You shouldn't do that. It's wrong and all that. But I, I do believe that. But what people don't talk about is they could have won it without Chris Paul if James Harden had done a damn thing. He did nothing. Took like one shot in the fourth quarter of the game seven, and there was still a game six. He didn't do anything. It, he is what he is. You know, we used to have Manny being Manny. This is just Harden being Harden. 0 and 5 to start his career with the Clippers. What a big surprise. Five losses in a row. We go to six. Want to shift over to the NHL quickly. Two things. A little bit self-serving. You want to fast forward the podcast two and a half minutes, you can. I'm going to try and make this work for anybody, no matter what teams they root for, if they're a hockey fan or not. When you have a Bruce Bochy and you see the impact he has and you see what he's done for the Texas Rangers, you know the importance of coaching, right? When you look at whether you hate him or not, all the things Bill Belichick done for the Patriots, right? You know about the importance of coaching. You know about what it, it can do. You know about when the culture changes and when a guy comes in that is just a difference maker, you know what that means. You know how that plays. And you know how important that is. We all know how important that is. My favorite team in any sport, the New York Islanders, had a guy like this. Now, is he Bill Belichick? No. Is he Bruce Bochy in terms of all that winning? No, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. But Barry Trotz has won at such a high level and had taken a team that I rooted for that was in the complete doldrums. And he brought them all the way to two Eastern Conference Finals that they had absolutely no business being in. None. They had no business being it. 
and he brought them there. And then they got rid of him. Now, I'm watching since then a team with Lou Lamarillo running. Has done absolutely nothing. I am watching a team that at one point, just two years ago, sorry for the technical difficulties. I'm watching a team that one point two years ago was in there on the verge of trying to make a run after two conference finals appearances and once losing in a game seven become a complete disaster. Lost six games in a row. The franchise is in the crapper. I can't stand it. The logo sitting here over my shoulder. I watch every game and they are a disgrace. They are a disgrace. The fact that Lou Lamarillo, who was once one of the great architects in this sport, has come over to my favorite team and has allowed it to sink the way this franchise has, it's awful. If you're a fan of this franchise, you are drowning the way I am. It is, it's tough to watch. They are horrible and so badly coached. And it reminds me of, and I think about this all the time, how much coaches are either overrated or they're severely underrated. We never seem to give them the right amount of credit. And it's not so much that we don't understand what they do. It's that we want someone to blame. So when things go wrong, it has to be their fault. They need to get fired and it should change. And a lot of times that's not right. Then the situation I'm watching with this team, they are, they are a dumpster fire. The franchise is a laughing stock and a joke right now. Terrible to watch. And they were sitting there two years ago and they had one of these dudes. Again, I'm not how to compare it. Is he Bruce Bochy? Is he Barry Trotz, one of the best coaches of the last 20, 30 years in the NHL? Look what he did with the Capitals. Then came to the Islanders, literally fell into their lap because the Capitals were idiots. Took you to two conference finals and you let him go. If you are a fan of a team that is driving you crazy, please understand, I feel your pain. Because the one team, it's like a sport I don't necessarily cover. I never, I've never lost the fandom and the diehard, and I'm in there to win there and all of that. And I watch every single night, and every single night it pains me. After I do this tonight, they're playing again. They're on this West Coast road trip, and I won't get any sleep tonight either because they're going to lose their seventh in a row by the time you even hear this if you're listening in the morning. Apple, Spotify, everywhere your podcast presented by Better Online. Connor Bedard. I, I love when we get athletes that transcend and get a chance to become superstars. We have been so blessed as hockey fans to get that with the likes of Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid so recently, Nathan McKinnon as well, and some others who are just that little bit tier maybe under that. But Bedard is a stud. If you have not watched this guy play, you have to watch this guy play. His shot and his ability to get it off and how quick that release is. I mean, it is something else. Got nine goals, four assists, 13 points in 13 games. And he is as advertised. And by the way, doing it for a team that should be pretty terrible. So it's not like, you know, he's got, you know, he's the third line center of a team that's stacked and he just getting lost in the shuffle. So he's having a lot of success. He's had an unbelievable amount of success and everybody is keying in on him every night. 
and it's been a lot of fun to watch. If you haven't watched it, go watch Bedard play. If you watch UFC 1995, you enjoyed it as much as I did. And to me, a couple things. Number one, Alex Pereira is a freak of nature. The fact that he has won titles in two weight classes and has only fought 11 times in his UFC, his MMA career is like zero. We're talking about a two-division glory champion in kickboxing. Basically came over in a dare from Israel Adesanya and you know, hunted him down. Yeah, the UFC allowed him after only a few fights to go get that fight. But he was able to get that fight. He was able to win that fight and become the champion. Then after he loses it, he comes back. He beats Jan Blachowicz when he goes up at weight class. And then sits there and fights Yuri. And the way he gets that left hook off in such a short distance with that kind of power, I mean, it is it is really incredible. It, it really is something to behold. And I can't wait to see what happens next with him. I hope Jamal Hill can get healthy enough so those two can fight. Already a little bit of trash talk in that, saying he's going to sleep your boy and all that. That should be fun. I don't think he's going to fight Izzy again. Don't know where Pereira goes. I know this about the other one. And the other thing with the heavyweight and that picture and Tom Aspinall, I I thought Aspinall would win. If you listen to my breakdown pre-295, I picked Pereira, and I, I took Aspinall in the first round, but I thought it would be by ground and pounder submission because I thought we were going to see him not be what was considered to be dumb enough, which was the whole you know, blade situation, to go try and go tit for tat with, with Pavlovich, who's got bricks in his hands, and he was going to take him down, and he was going to finish him on the ground. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, he's going to submit him, he's going to ground and pound Pavlovich. We don't know if he can get off his back, no problem, and that's how it would be quick work. But it was easy work with the fist, and the fact that he ate one, and he ate a big shot from Pavlovich before he even returned fire and was able to knock him out, and it's an unbelievable performance. Then you watch this guy with the humility and the tears and the emotion and the story with his father, who's been training him since he's eight years old and gave up his career to train his son. And they're doing it together as a family and the whole thing. I mean, you just cannot be happier for what seems like just a, a sweetheart of a guy who's a scary mountain of a man at the same time. Now we got to get him to fight John Jones. He wants the John Jones fight. We all, I love Steve Miocic. The story of Steve Miocic is a firefighter still and all of that. Absolutely love it. Many years ago, had the opportunity to have him on my show. He's a big baseball fan. Indians then, now Guardians, obviously, when you talk about the Cleveland team. But nobody wants to see him fight. He hasn't had a fight in four years. John Jones has only fought once in three years. They're both looking to retire after the fight's over. You finally got somebody young in a heavyweight. It's the heavyweight champion of the world, right? Interim or not. Now you've got a dude. You've got a dude who wants and is hungry and he's there. And he wants to go after John Jones. You want a cement legacy? John Jones beating Stipe Miocic was about money and about a big money fight. He knows he's going to. Look, I love Stipe. Jones knows he's going to win that fight. Yeah, okay, it's another notch in his belt. But it's another notch of big money when he doesn't know how many fights he wants to have before he's done. You want another legacy, you want to really close out, you're already the GOAT. And to me, whether he wins his next fight or not, but it is always what you do last. It is always what you've done for me lately. You go knock Aspinall out, or most likely take him to the ground and submit him, or however you win that fight, 
and you shut him up, then you walk away. You drop Mike Walk off stage and barn on anybody to ever telling you you're not the goat. I don't care about what the hell they want to bring up. Off the off the outside of the octagon issues, you're talking about you know uh, picograms, or they want to get into your disqualification, or whether it, whatever it is, nobody going to say a word because that to me is really cementing and stamping a legacy. Beating Steve Bain now, maybe five years ago. I don't know what it does now for anybody. Is anybody really that excited to see that fight? I had a little interest in the fight. Now that the fight was canceled and Aspinall won the championship, I have zero interest in that fight. None. None. I am curious, though, what UFC 300 is going to be. Because we know about the next few fights, and, and I've talked about that in a previous pod and I'm excited about all of them. I love the volkanovsky Teporia fight. Um, I, you know, clearly, and I'm not talking about you know, Covington and Edwards in this unbelievable card in December, because we already knew about that. But the three that got announced, Strickland, Duplessis is interesting. Okay, fine. You got to fill out that Toronto card, whatever. Teporia and Volk, which looks like it'll be in LA. O'Malley and Cheeto, can't wait for that. But what the hell is UFC 300 going to be? If this is true, that Connor's got to get delayed till the summer, and he's not going to fight even though seemingly he wants to fight because why? Cause they don't want to put it on UFC 300 because they're going to make money on 300 anyway. So maybe the thought being that you put Connor on another card so you could double up and make two unbelievably huge paydays. Cause wherever you put Connor is going to be huge anyway. And if you're going to, you know, overfill 300 with great fights, you don't need Connor to be the main event. Okay. I get that. But I want to see Connor and Michael Chandler already. Cause I want to see Connor fight other fights. And he can't fight other fights until he beats Chandler. If he beats Chandler, he can't go fight Diaz again if Nate comes back. He, he can't fight any of these fights. He can't go. Look, I don't think he would be worthy of fighting Islam, but with the old Khabib backstory, who doesn't want to see that? And Khabib goes back in the corner like a Rocky movie, and let's go. Give me all that. He can't see it until he fights Chandler. Can we get this freaking fight done already? Put it at 300 in April. Let's go. Uh, you can go. Obviously, Apple, Spotify, everywhere we get your podcast. You're already doing that. Get up into the artist formerly known as Twitter, Exit Will, at Casey Stern. Get up into the bio. Jump on the YouTube channel. Many ways to get on board. The Unfiltered Revolution. And uh, good to have you here. I always talk about the fact that uh, lately I've said I try and kind of close out some of these episodes with quotes. And I've been you know big into that over the years, but especially over the last year or two in general. The one today is a Winston Churchill quote. This is actually on my Twitter bio page. I think it's in the picture in the background. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes. I had not seen this one until a couple of years ago, and it's been a staple for me. And that is, if you're going through hell, keep going. And essentially, you can. one of the great things about all these quotes and all these type of things is you can read into them however you want. They mean whatever they mean to you. What it's always meant to me is, if you're going through the thick of it, if you're going through bad times or everything going wrong, where you know you're you're stepping into proverbial puddles in life, or you're dealing with illnesses in family or yourself or whatever it could be, and those things are bad, it is hard sometimes to step outside yourself and to look at it as simple as if you're going through hell, keep going. Because the only way to get through it and to get out the other side is to go through it. The only way it's ever going to change or be different is not to turn the off button or the switch off or to give up. It's to give in to the fact that there may be another day or another week or another month 
or another year. But every single time you push forward, you will get closer to when the end of that is, to when, if you will, the rain stops. If you're going through hell, keep going. Great one from Winston Churchill. Always great to be with you. Jumping in the comments. We will see you again soon. Unfiltered. And the Believe Network is always is brought to you by our good friends at Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.